really feel like I've got some important things to share with you, and we're going to run through it just as quickly. So you guys say amen, and let's get going. All right. Um, We've been looking at some big ones, uh, and uh, today we're going to look at a little bit. I'm only taking one piece because I don't have time to dig into all of it. But one of my Bible heroes that has inspired me that I have done entire series on this guy. But I just felt like knowing the baptisms today, knowing the baby dedications today, um, as I was thinking about all of my heroes in the Bible, there was a particular scripture that jumped out to me about this particular guy. And this guy was, uh, he was, he was birthed as a slave. Um, he uh, had, had never been to his hometown. Um, he became a servant uh, to an ungodly king. He had an important position with the king, but he was expendable. His name was Nehemiah. A whole book about him, read it. It's good stuff. But, but Nehemiah was a guy that was the cupbearer for this ungodly king. And, and although it was an important position, it was a throwaway slave that did it. Nehemiah was a throwaway slave. His job was to stand with the king's cup, and when the king wanted something to drink... Nehemiah would take a drink out of the cup, stand there for a little while, and if he didn't die, the king would take a drink out of the cup. So he was the filter to know if somebody was trying to poison the king, to kill the king. So he was in the king's house, but he was a slave that any minute could die. (laughs) Because somebody's trying to take out the king. But God put it in his heart to go to a city he had never been to. The city of his forefathers, go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, hang the gates, restore the city to its former glory. Now he was just a slave. God did some miracles to get him back to Jerusalem. He went back to Jerusalem, started the work. The enemy was attacking, and that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. Are y'all ready? Now, I just skipped a whole bunch, all right? But um, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh-oh, Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, then the Jews who lived near came and told us how many times? Ten times over. Wherever you turn, they will attack you. They're going to attack you. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall. This is Nehemiah talking because they're rebuilding the wall. The parts that were exposed, I posted them by what? Oh, come on. By what? Families with their sword and spear and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and everybody say this with me, fight 
for your mm, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When I look things over, my challenge to you today is remember the Lord. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight for your family. Don't be afraid. How many of you know we're in an all-out war on the family? On God's version of family. What God designed family to be. It is under attack. But I want to tell you, and everybody say this with me, don't be afraid. Come on, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight for your family. Fight for your family. I, I am convinced. This is such a simple message. But I am convinced with everything that's in me that godly families are the only hope to rebuilding and restoring what the enemy has stolen and destroyed in our cities and in our nation. It's the only hope. I pray for godly political leaders, but my hope is not there. Come on. They can have some impact, but the only real hope, the only real hope for Nehemiah to rebuild a city was godly families. The only real hope we have is for godly families. If it's ever going to be restored, (laughs) if it's ever going to be rebuilt, it will only happen if we're not afraid and we remember the Lord and we what? That's right. We fight for our families. We fight for our families. We, Nehemiah would say, man, if we don't fight, we're going to become extinct. There won't be any godly families left if we don't fight. So, I want to talk a little bit about fighting for your family. I want to give you a couple things just to help you out, uh, and, and, and maybe it'll connect. Uh, write this down. If you got your notes, write this down. There are no perfect families. Come on, somebody say amen. There are no perfect families. Families, regardless of what you see on Facebook or Instagram, you know, there are no perfect families. You see the perfect vacation, the perfect beach setting, everybody's got the perfect clothes on, it's a perfect sunset, and they get that one shot and blow it up everywhere. Like we have the perfect family. The picture they didn't show you. (laughs) Where the kids crying. Mom's upset. Dad's yelling. 
and everybody's mad just getting the car loaded to go on the perfect vacation. Come on. That was my house. Anybody else? <coughs> you know? Why don't we post those pictures? You know? Be a little more honest, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know if y'all know, but I put hidden cameras in your vehicles. I have people that do that while you're in here. So if your car's not locked, sorry. Um, <laughs> I have videos of you on your way to church. Isn't it funny? It's always Sunday morning. You have the biggest fights. You know? We're going to go praise God. Come on. You know? We, <laughs> you know? You're arguing and fighting all the way to church, and you get out of your car and walk in going, praise God, everything's wonderful. How's it going? Oh, it's wonderful. Jesus has blessed me. In the back of your mind, I'm going to kill him when I get him home, you know, <laughs> right, right. How many of you would agree there are no perfect families, right? Did you know there's not even any perfect families in the Bible, they're not, other than the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, that's it. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, I mean, think about it. There are no, the very first family was screwed up. It's the truth. It's the truth. This family, Jesus' own family was not perfect. Oh. Come on, anybody else? You're afraid to say that, right? Like, no, it's true. His brothers thought he was nuts till after he came back from being dead. Till after the resurrection. They were like, oh, oh, I slept in the same bed with God. That's wild. Come on, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. You know, but here's what I want you to just take a breath and realize this, because this is freeing. Uh, write it down. Perfect family is not the goal. Come on. Come on and say, thank you, Lord. Perfect family is not the goal. So just take a breath. In every family, there's good, bad, and ugly, right? And don't put a name by any of those, all right? It's like, it probably depends on the day, which is good, which is bad, and which is ugly, right? It's, it's true. Um, <laughs> in John 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he literally paints a picture that, that I want you as disciples to function as family. That, that was his challenge to them. I want you to function as a family. I, I, I want this circle to function as a family. And, and he said it like this. I want y'all to be one like me and my dad are one. Right. I, I, I want, you're not going to be perfect, but you can sure be together. Amen. Are y'all hearing me? You can sure do this thing together. I want you to be one like, like we are one. I want you, and then he says, here's why. In John 17, he says, I want you to be one like we're one, and here's why I want you to be one. Here's why I want you to function as a godly family, so that the world will see you and know who I am. 
And for that reason, I'm going to make a very bold statement, and I want you to write this down. Godly family could possibly be the greatest form of evangelism. More so than big tent revivals. Oh, come on. I am convinced godly family could possibly be the greatest form of evangelism. The greatest way to draw people to Jesus. Growing up in my family, I tell stories about my family all the time. But growing up as a kid, my family was not perfect. I, I, I mean, we were not. There were three brothers that were all real close to the same age. We fought. We argued. We tried to kill each other. And when I say try to kill each other, yeah, yeah, I got a butcher knife thrown at me one day. Stuck, the handle of it stuck in the wall beside me, you know? I mean, we, we, we weren't perfect. We were far from perfect. But we knew as a family, as imperfect as we were, we knew as a family, if someone asked, what is your family value? What is your family centered around? What's important to your family? All of us would say, it's Jesus. We were a Christ-centered family even when we weren't perfect. Come on. We all knew it. And I'm going to tell you, I was thinking about this. I, I started making a list. Of all of my friends and relatives that are walking with Jesus today because they spent time with my mom and dad and my family. Greatest form of evangelism. I am convinced of it. Matter of fact, a friend of mine who moved away from here uh, in his junior year. He was my best friend in high school. Moved away in the junior year um, from a very dysfunctional, broken family. About two months ago or so, it may have been a little longer than that, he traveled across the country to come bring his wife and his young adult daughters to come to my mom and dad and in person say thank you. The wife and the daughters told stories about how we, we heard what his life was like at home. But we heard how your family took him in. And how your mom and dad became spiritual mom and dad to him. And I'm going to tell you, it wrecked my world. As we're on the back patio at my house. And, and these, these <laughs> grown girls... And wife crying 
going, thank you for the investment because we've reaped the benefit of a godly husband and a godly father because of you. Because of your investment in him. And I don't know, and it was like a powerful thing for my girls, for my family to watch. I am convinced that godly families are our only hope. Not one of the hopes. It's Jesus working through family. It is. So, the question. What is your value? What is your family centered around? We don't have to be perfect. But what is it centered around? Are you fighting for your family? Is your family centered around acceptance and influence, education? Is it centered around sports or hobbies? I'm just telling you, all those things are great. Do all those things. It's okay. But they can't be the focus of your family. It won't last. It just won't. I I love our family. We value we 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 value some hobbies. We like going to the lake. We like camping. But that's not the center. Matter of fact, we make hard decisions because we want our family to be Christ-centered. And so there are times we want to go do the hobby, but we're like, no, because of what's going on, because we want to fight to keep us in church, we want to fight to keep us involved in circles, we want to fight for our family, sometimes we make decisions that it just shows everybody and my girls and everybody else, that's great. We're going to do it all we can, but that's not the center. That's not our, how many of you know you can only have one number one? You can only have one number one. And, and in Exodus chapter 20, it says, you shall have what? No other gods. No other, and I love that it's little G gods. Because how many of you know it's the little G gods that slip in? <laughs> right? And eh, not that big a deal. And before you know it, that's our value. That's our focus. That's what's important to us. I, my prayer, and, and I want you to write this down. I know I'm running through this, but I want you to write this down. My, my prayer is that we have God first values. Amen. God first values. And I'm going to give you an acronym that I totally stole from Rick Warren, all right? I'm just confessing it right here. I stole it from Rick Warren, but I think it's a really good, and I'm not spending much time on it. You can dig it out later. But how do we make God first in our families? How, is, how do we live that out in real life? You know, we all know, yeah, I want to be, and I love the picture. That's why I wanted you to see the picture of Kyle and Amanda and all of the family, the biological family, the spiritual family. <laughs> because I believe it's a great example of God first. 
What's, what is important? What is it? And so we're going to use the word first. It's on your handout. Look at that. Uh, and we're going to say that the F stands for finances. I did not get one amen. That preacher talking about money. I, I, go give it somewhere else. I don't care. You know? And I say this all the time. God don't need your money. Amen. <laughs> if he wanted your money, he'd take it. He needs and he wants your heart. Amen. That's what he wants. You know? God first. Everybody say, God first in our finances. Mm. That I make financial decisions with God first. Come on. I make financial decisions with God first. Tithing and giving, living with an open hand that what I have in my hand, it's not mine, it's his. Amen. Right? That, that it's a God-first value in my finances. Write this down. It's a God-first value in my interest, the I, for interest. That, that the things that interest me would be the things that interest God. You know, the things that I'm drawn to is not the things of my flesh. I'm going to tell you, guys, you want to know how to fight for your family? Focus your interests in a godly way because there's a lot of stuff on here that wants to focus your interest other ways but how many of you guys would agree it's a fight but it's a fight worth fighting right it is it's a fight worth fighting fight for your families fight for your families with your finances with your interest write this down with your relationships students Start fighting in your dating that it's God-first relationships. That it's God-first relationships. The way you do marriage, that's what this big picture up on the stage earlier is we're learning how to do, how to do marriage with God-first. We're learning how to raise kids, lots and lots of kids, God-first. Come on. It's about putting God first and God-centered in the relationships around. So it's God first in, what was the first one? The second one? The third one? And S is for schedules. Oh, come on. The greatest form of love is time. <laughs> The greatest form of love is time. God first in my schedules. God first in the morning. God first with my Sundays. God first in circles, living life with other believers. God first with a Sabbath. Man, that one's hard. But God first. Hmm. God first. The last one, write this down. The T is in trouble. God first. I'm so glad Rick Warren put that part. 
that God first when trouble comes. Jesus said, in this world you will have, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. That's right. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Hmm. He's like, put me first in your finances. Put me first in your interest. Put me first in the relationship. Put me first in schedules. And even when trouble comes, put me first. And in every one of those ways, you are fighting for your family. Because if you put me first, when something comes that you can't handle, guess who's with you? That's right. Guess who's going to fight for you? So, so first, first, fight for your family. Amen? Amen? And when we fight for our family, it changes things. So, we're going to fight for our family with godly what? Values. Godly values in our family. And then this next one, and I could spend so much time on that last one. But the, the next one I want to give you, I want you to think about this. Um, commit to the journey. See, it's easy for us to go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a God-centered family. As for me and my house, Kyle and Amanda were saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's just who we are. But I want you to know there's something different than going, I'm going to put God first. <laughs> it's a whole other thing to commit to the journey. Come on. It's easy to sit in church and go, yeah, I want my family to be God-centered. I want to fight for my family like Nehemiah said. <laughs> it's a whole other thing to commit to the journey. I want to give you a definition of commit, that I love this. I hope you write it down. If you've not been writing anything else down, write this down. The word commit literally means making a decision in advance that is carried out regardless of the circumstance. That'll preach, y'all. Amen? That to commit means I am making a decision in advance. Those girls, they were making a decision in advance that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what happens when we hit the ground running at school in a couple of weeks, we are followers of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. That to commit is to make a decision, everybody say, in advance. Mm. That I'm going to carry it out regardless of the circumstances. I'm going to make a decision today that I'm going to carry out tomorrow no matter what happens tomorrow. Are y'all hearing me? Yeah. Yeah. Making a decision to live tomorrow when things get crazy. 
with God-centered values. It, it's a mom and dad holding a little baby going, I'm making a decision today that I am committing and giving this little guy back to the Lord. And I am making a commitment today that no matter what happens tomorrow, I'm going to involve other believers in helping me do this. I'm committing that this young man is going to be raised in a God-centered, God-value home. The best way I know, and that's why we wanted to show you the picture of all of those that were standing with them, is because if you read the story of Nehemiah, the way they won, they started building, the enemy would attack. They started building, the enemy would attack. Finally, Nehemiah said, here's what we're going to do. I want this family right here. And you can read it. There's like a chapter and a half. It even gives the names of the families. It said, I want this family right here. And right beside that family is going to be this family. And right beside that family is going to be this family. And right beside that family, you're going to be here. And then you're going to be here. And you're going to be here. And this family's going to stand next to this family. And this family's going to stand next. And I want you as families... I want you to work with one hand, carry rocks with one hand. We're going to build this wall. We're going to build this wall. And so I don't want you to stop to fight the enemy because there's a work that needs to be done. We're going to raise these kids. We're going to carry the rocks. We're going we're gonna to help those that have been broken. Uh, that's a whole other thing. I've preached whole messages on the rocks that were burned that Nehemiah used to build this massive wall that the enemy said even if a dog runs on it it's going to fall down but as they were strategically placed one next to the other next to the other as the families were placed one next to the other next to the other next to the other as each one of them with one hand carried rocks the other hand carried a sword. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, when they come to attack, don't stop building, but rally to each other there. That's why we preach over and over and over and over get in a circle get in a circle when the enemy tried to kill noble there was an army around him carrying rocks and swords 
and said, not today, devil. And that's the only reason that little man is alive. You can't wait till the enemy comes to kick your butt to go, I need help. Because you can yell all you want, but if there's nobody standing beside you, they can't hear you. And it's not their fault. It's not the church's fault they weren't there for you. It's not the preacher's fault. So often, Nehemiah, when the enemy would try to sidetrack or distract him from the values, from we got to build this thing, we got to protect each other, a love at one place, the enemy calls him to come, oh, just come on over, we're going to talk about it, and I love it, Nehemiah says this, and this is where we're going to end, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. And I can't afford to get distracted right now. I'm raising a godly family. And Satan, I just don't have time to come talk to you right now. I just don't have time. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I want you to say that with me. Ready? Go. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come. I, I want us to say it na- th- this time and I, I want some of you aren't talking to me. Alright? I want you to say it loud and we're going to say instead of come down we're going to say stop now. I can't stop now. I can't stop putting God first in my finances. I'm doing a great work. I can't stop now making God first in the interest of my family. I can't stop now putting God first in the way I'm raising my family in relationships. I can't stop now. I can't. I'm doing a great work. I can't stop now meeting with Jesus in the mornings. I can't stop now. There's a great work to be done. I can't stop now. Even when trouble comes, it's God first. So say it with me. Let's say it loud. Ready, go. I am doing a great work, and I cannot stop now. Amen? There have been so many Wednesday nights, I know. Kyle and Amanda weren't feeling it. I really don't want all those people in my house today. There were times they're just like, I'm tired. But they're doing a great work and they can't stop now. Now is a great time, church, 
as we start looking as to school starting and summer gets a little crazy, circles are getting ready to fire back up. Some have kind of been off and on through the summer. But I'm telling you, it's a great time to refocus. It's a great time to come back and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we can't do it on our own. The enemy is going to come over the wall and kick my butt if I'm standing there all by myself. I need that family beside me and that family beside me and that family beside me. And it's worth the awkward conversations. It's worth it. In a few weeks, we're going to go pray over the schools. I'm telling you, we're doing a great work, and we can't stop now. You're like, yeah, but that's kind of weird to go pray over the school. and It's not nearly as weird as when something tragic happens and everybody in town is going to show up at the school. And very facetiously, I'm going to say, where were you? The halls will be flooded when tragedy happens. But where were you to prevent it? Where were you to stand beside each other as a wall around our students? Just throwing it out there. It's time to fight. So Lord, I don't even know how to end this, but it's you. Lord, I just pray that you would, right where we sit, I just pray right now that there would be families that go, I'm doing a good work. The enemy's trying to distract me, but it can't stop now. My marriage in trouble is in trouble, but it's worth fighting for. We can't stop now. fathers would just stand up and say I'm going to fight I'm going to get brothers alongside of me to fight we're going to fight for our families for our sons, our daughters fight for our wives Father you have shown us how to fight that's successful that works challenge us as men and women to not stop now I thank you Lord amen amen Mm. what a good day right can you give the Lord a hand yes